0: Hey, welcome back. So I want to take some time to talk about this headline, this article, uh, this story that some of you may have seen a blurb about or read about over the weekend. And that was that the Dutch Central Bank, in a statement that they put out, uh, discussed why central banks own gold in the first place. Now, for you and I, that may be somewhat obvious. I think it's a good thing to review To some extent in in this podcast in this video today but of course we've been told over the years by central bankers by phd economists by those that are you know in control in in large government places that gold is you know as ben bernanke now infamously put it a barbarous relic That it's something that we no longer need. That with today's technology, with today's experience and knowledge about monetary policy and setting it and tweaking all the different interest rates and the different market operations, etc., it's not something we need anymore. That essentially the the, the system that the world ran off of for the, the vast majority of human history, the bulk of the last few thousand years, with very few exceptions that usually ended very poorly that's a system that we no longer need. A system that is based on a physical asset or, or uh, a monet, monetary system that is linked to something physical and not something that is given value simply because a government says it should have value. I mean, that's basically the definition of fiat currency. Well, anyways, Dutch Central Bank comes out with this statement talking about their, their purpose for owning gold. And they had a really interesting statement in there that reminded me of of what I've said several times about China. I'll get to that in a second. But what they said basically was that gold is something that, you know, this is this is paraphrased obviously. They talk about how gold gives a certain legitimacy to a central bank, to a currency. And, and that is maybe the most important piece of a central bank's reserve. However, they go on to say that gold is something that's used when, or would be necessary when this system sort of collapses, something to restart from. And this is as the Dutch Central Bank is seemingly consolidating their gold. In fact, they're putting some of it, or all of it, uh, their domestic reserves at least, uh, behind lock and key, essentially, guarded by the military, not unlike uh, you know, how the U.S. And, and Fort Knox operates and whatnot. Not an unwise decision. And this is sort of following a trend that we've seen over the last couple of years. Not only have central banks the world over been buying gold, even those that hadn't bought gold in a very long time, but, but many are repatriating that gold, which makes sense to me. I don't know why any country would ever choose to have their gold housed you know, overseas. You know, how many times have we seen countries choosing to, to house their gold in, in New York or London? I mean it's why? I mean, it's it, it sounds simple, but it's kind of the same reason that you and I choose to to hold our own physical silver and gold rather than have it housed by some vaulting agency or whatever. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. Now, under you know, normal circumstances, ninety-nine percent of the time Getting that gold, getting access to that gold from New York, from London, from wherever it's housed, probably no problem with it. But it's that 1% of the time in which you're going to have difficulty getting access to it, which is also probably the 1% of the time that you're really going to need access to it, right? So anyways, tracking back to what I said earlier about how this reminded me of, of China. You know, many people have talked over the years about China's massive gold reserves. And just as a quick reminder, you know, China officially, I think earlier this year, started building up their gold reserves again after a a hiatus of like a year or two or quite a while. And, you know, currently, I don't know exactly what their, their officially stated gold reserves at the people's bank of China are maybe in the neighborhood of 1400 tons, somewhere along those lines. But, it's not really important. Not that I'm saying the gold isn't important. What I'm saying is that the amount held at the PBOC, or at least publicly stated, is just a small amount of the total amount of gold that China as a government owns or has access to. Because really, you know, in a basically communist country, what really isn't owned by the government when it's all said and done? Right there, there may be private private ownership of of companies, of assets, of houses, whatever. But come on, that's not how communism works. And so, what you have is the statistics showing that China has a massive, a massive hoard of gold that that is likely at least ten times larger than what the PBOC officially states they have. And this is held in sovereign wealth funds. It's held in the hands of. Of uh, you know other government entities, even some you know quasi private entities, if you don't call them that, whether it's uh, companies or, or wealthy individuals or whatever, but but most of it could easily be seized if push came to shove, uh, because again, this is this is a communist government we're talking about, and, and don't quote me on these numbers. I want to say it amounts to something like twenty thousand plus tons. I mean, the number keeps going up honestly, because if you look at the numbers, uh, China continues to, to import gold, and they basically keep all their domestic production within their own borders. They're hoarding gold. And so many people have wondered, you know, what is the implications of this? Are they getting ready for some sort of a gold-backed yuan? And, and my answer to that has usually been no. Not, not what would come to mind when we think of, like, China coming out overnight and saying, we're going to back our, our yuan with gold. No, I, I don't see that happening. Rather, I think China is in many ways in the same boat as the rest of the world. Perhaps even a worse you know a boat that's sinking even more quickly, has more holes in the hole is more filled up with water. In terms of their exposure to the the, the, the dangers of, of a fiat monetary system, I'm talking debt. I'm talking an addiction to credit, an economy's addiction to credit. I'm talking about this, this attempt that we always see take place by central planners to replace a business cycle with a never-ending credit cycle, which ultimately leads to a crazy amount of debt and slower and slower economic growth. I mean, China is in a bad spot. And, and this trade deal or this trade war, which has hardly worked out at this point, isn't helping them one bit. They're in a bad spot. And so that's where I think that gold comes into play. Do do I think that that gold acts as an effective hedge when, when compared to, to the massive amount of debt that they have at the consumer, the corporate, the, the government level in China? No, I mean, w- when you look at the numbers, I mean, with the current valuation of gold, it's a very small amount of their total GDP or their total amount of debt. It wouldn't make much of a dent at, at current prices. And I'm also not going down some sort of a China's going to revalue the price of gold type of, of point either. I don't think that's going to occur, at least in, in the classic sense many of us might be thinking rather I've always sort of been of the opinion that yeah that gold is always great for central bank or for a government to hold it does give legitimacy to to the country's uh currency to their central bank I mean hey it was uh, part of China uh the Chinese Yuan being added to the SDR uh, uh part of the SDR basket was the fact that they had built up such a large amount of gold reserves, publicly stated gold reserves. So yeah, that's part of it. But I've always been of the opinion that if we're looking for China to use that as some sort of hedge of last resort, it's not going to be some overnight gold back yuan. It's not going to be them using that gold to somehow rescue their economy from their coming bust, coming recession. Rather... I've always been of the opinion that they're going to be using it as some sort of a tool to rescue themselves out of some sort of a reset. Not unlike what the Dutch Central Bank here is talking about. When everything falls apart, as Dutch Central Bank talks about, uh, shares, stocks, bonds, equity, all that stuff, real estate to some extent. When that all falls aside, what's left standing is is gold, or at least what's physical, and in this case, I mean, gold is, is maybe the most advantageous of those physical assets to own. Yeah, I mean, there's oil, there's, there's real estate, there's military assets, there's human capital. Those things are all very important to China, the U.S., whatever country after this next, you know, collapse, this next reset. But that gold is what you use to reset your monetary system. Now, does that mean that China or any country is going to use... And, and keep some sort of a gold-backed currency? We'll see. It remains to be seen. I mean, if anything, much of the world is much closer to moving towards some sort of a cryptocurrency-based asset or cryptocurrency-based uh, global reserve currency than it is to a, a gold-backed currency. That, that's just the truth of the matter. I don't like it. You guys don't like it. But that's the truth of the matter. But I don't think that really takes away from the allure and from the future value of gold and silver. Right? Uh, central banks the world over. The IMF, the BIS, they can all get on board with some sort of a, a global um, cryptocurrency that I'm referring to, as, as many of them have referred to in the past. But just like you know, right now, the, the fact that every country uses a fiat currency around the world doesn't take away from the value of silver and gold in the future, such a system wouldn't take away from the value of silver and gold in, in some sort of a crypto-based system. I mean, yeah, in a, in a perfect ideal world, we could move to some sort of a uh, gold or silver-backed currency, maybe a biometallic standard like we had here in the United States and many countries back in the day. I, but I doubt it. I doubt it's going to happen. Why, I mean, why would uh, countries give up that type of power that they currently have over monetary systems? The lure is just too great. I mean, you've seen it in so many countries over the last 10 years even. Uh, Dictators or governments uh, more or less trying to take over their central bank because of the power that they can wield with that. You see it in Turkey. Uh, Erdogan, who's who's certainly been in the news for different reasons quite a bit as of late, uh, really took away a lot of the legitimacy of the Turkish lira by more or less... You know, taking control of his central bank and and the interest rates and all that, Uh, of course, back into, you know, back in 2018, 2019, that time period when many emerging market currencies were undergoing a crisis for for a variety of reasons that are somewhat extraneous to this video, the Turkish lira was sort of at the epicenter of that you know, major devaluation was occurring. And, you know, the natural response for a central bank to that was to, would be to jack up interest rates in their own currency to, you know, attract investors to that currency to help uh, stave off any future decline. But, you know, raising interest rates like that can be damaging to, to the economy, of course. So can a massive devaluation and inflation. But that's not something that was on you know, when, it, when, it, when it's all said and done, Erdogan decided that the higher interest rates was were going to be more damaging than uh, higher inflation and an evaluation. And so he more or less, you know, took control of, of central bank policy and, you know, made some moves in, in the political realm and and stopped that from occurring, the interest rate hikes that otherwise would have occurred. Heck, you've seen it in the United States, Right. With over the last year, year and a half, with with Donald Trump and his uh, undying criticism of uh, Jerome Powell, the, the guy that he appointed, and his you know running of the Federal Reserve. Now, look, I'm not going to be unfair to Trump because I think the fact of the matter is, is that just about every president, explicitly or not explicitly, has in some way directed central bank policy. I mean, hey, you look at somebody like uh, you know Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen. I mean, I think those two absolutely sort of adjusted their central bank policy because of who they had in office. Am I saying that Ben Bernanke crashed the system on Bush's watch because he's Republican? Not necessarily. If anything, more of that crashing the system was was Alan Greenspan raising interest rates then he left, uh, Bernanke raised them a little bit more and then left them there but as far as during the Obama presidency, yeah, I mean Obama and uh, Bernanke and, and, and Yellen, I think a lot of their political ideologies, especially as it, as it pertains to the economy and monetary system they line up with each other so why not uh, sort of have a, an implicit agreement between the head of a central bank and the head of a government to work together, even if it's not taken the form of a president always sort of tweeting at a specific you know, central banker. The, the allure for that power is just too great. And we've seen it so many times. Uh, the wealthy or the powerful co-opt that power to serve their means, serve their their purposes. Uh, I mean, I'll remind you that one of the big contributors to, to this uh, income inequality here in the United States and much of the world, I think, can be blamed on, on central banks. I mean, low interest rates, quantitative easing, propping up the stock market, massive asset purchases, all of those things primarily or disproportionately benefit the wealthy. And again, I'm not going to rehash that in this video today. I've done that many times in the past. I probably will again in the future. And so it would make sense for those that are the millionaires and the billionaires of society to to in some way use that power to to serve their purposes, to, to increase their wealth to benefit the current investments and assets that they have, stocks and, and real estate and, and bonds and the like. Sure, I mean, lower interest rates are going to benefit you know, the average Joe that, that makes fifty grand a year, uh, maybe in the sense that he's going to be paying a lower interest rate if he, if he takes out a new mortgage, maybe a new car loan, all that. But when it's all said and done, the amount of benefit that he's going to receive is going to be minuscule to those that are seeing 20, 30, 40% asset appreciation over you know, five years or whatever on their stocks or their real estate. And furthermore, those with those real assets uh, that are a, a a massive amount of their overall net wealth versus you know average Joe who holds very small amount of his net wealth and net worth in uh, stocks and whatnot, it's gonna disproportionately benefit them. And the inflation that is going to occur because of those practices are going to disproportionately affect the average Joe. Because, hey, guess what inflation primarily affects? You have asset prices like stocks and real estate and bonds and all of that. Yeah, inflation jacks up those prices. That is great for the wealthy. But guess what else it, guess what else it jacks up? The cost of living. Housing, healthcare, uh, food, gas, uh, an education—all of those things are are disproportionately affected by inflation. And so, when you look at their average budget, you know the wealthy maybe like ten percent of their budget is actually spent on those types of things that they need to to survive, or or you know, I don't want to say survive because we don't need all that stuff to survive technically, but to, to leave a decent existence or, or live a decent life here in the United States, that may be 10% of their budget, but for the average Joe, that's 90% of his budget. And so it's going to disproportionately affect him, right? And I could go on and on for all the reasons why central banks are not going to relinquish this power of, of printing currencies of of the printing presses of fiat currency and all the benefits that it entails for the ultra ultra wealthy but what i can tell you is that as a whole it's not beneficial to the to the average person to the average joe to you and i um and and that's why i think we need some sort of a gold or silver backed system but i am pessimistic i don't think it's going to happen but again i don't come back and forth here just to rehash myself though I think that even if we don't have such a system in the future, that doesn't take away from the value of silver and gold and and their ability to to hedge to preserve value over the long term. And that's what's important for you and I. That's how we can do our very best to sort of break this cycle of of the wealthy, the powerful, those in, in government and banking and whatnot, PhD economists, from Sort of ruining the party for 99% of, of individuals in the United States or, or whatever country we're talking about. Uh, that's how we can preserve our wealth through this next recession. And, and ultimately, I think massive amounts of inflation. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to be able to do that. They're going to lose their house. They're going to lose their job and they're going to lose a very large amount of their retirement or your, their overall investment portfolio, their net worth. They're going to have to restart. Maybe not quite from zero, but pretty darn close. But those of us that have real silver and gold, you know, just like a a central bank, as the Dutch central bank puts it, can use that gold to sort of restart, or silver in many of our cases can use that to restart. Uh, so can we, right? And hey, if push comes to shove, we can take the route of of some country like Venezuela, which has had to sell some of their gold to to sort of pay the bills. Not not that I'm saying anything in favor of the Venezuelan regime, but it offers us that ability too that yes we can use that to to uh restart from but if we need to we can also use it to to pay the bills to keep the lights on to to keep the the title to the house in our possession so as always i'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for watching this video listening to this podcast and god bless